to your name. Oh, Lord, praises to your name. Oh, Lord, for your name is great and greatly to be praised. We sing praises to your name. sing praises to your name. Oh, Lord, praises to your name. Oh, Lord, for your name is great and greatly to be praised. I sing praises to your name. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. I think D. So turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the thief. Just turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow straight. Just turn, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face, and the things of strangely dim in the light 
this evening. Uh, let's put it back in the key of F, and we'll uh, speed it up here just a little bit. And let's sing that song, Our Lord's Return. Oh, our Lord is coming back to earth again. Yes, our Lord is coming back to earth again. Satan will be bound a thousand years, will have no tempter then. After Jesus shall come back to earth again. I am watching for the coming of the glad millennial day When our blessed Lord shall come and catch His waiting bride away Oh, my heart is filled with rapture as I labor, watch, and pray For the Lord is coming back to earth again Oh, our Lord is coming back to earth again Yes, our Lord is coming back to earth again. Satan will be bound a thousand years, will have no tempter then. After Jesus shall come back to earth again. Jesus coming back will be the answer to earth's soaring cry. For the knowledge of the Lord shall fill the earth and sea and sky. God shall take away all sickness and the sufferer's tears will dry. When our Savior shall come back to earth again. Oh, our Lord is coming back to earth again. Yes, our Lord is coming back to earth again. Satan will be bound a thousand years, will have no tempter there. After Jesus shall come back to earth again. Yes, the ransomed of the Lord shall come to Zion then with joy. And in all his holy mountain nothing hurts or shall destroy. For Christ shine in every heart and love without alloy. After Jesus shall come back to earth again. Oh, our Lord is coming back to earth again. Yes, our Lord is coming back to earth again. Satan will be bound a thousand years, will have no tempter then. After Jesus shall come back to earth again. Then the sin and sorrow, pain and death of this dark world shall cease In a glorious reign with Jesus of a thousand years of peace All the earth is groaning, crying for that day of sweet release For our Jesus to come back to earth again Oh, our Lord is coming back to earth again Yes, our Lord is coming back to earth again. Satan will be bound a thousand years, will have no tempter then. After Jesus shall come back to earth again. Then the sin and sorrow, pain and death of this dark world shall cease. In a glorious reign with Jesus of a thousand years of peace. All the earth is groaning, crying for the day of sweet release. For our Jesus to come back to earth again. Oh, our Lord is coming back to earth again. Yes, our Lord is coming back to earth again. Satan 
and we'll be bound a thousand years We'll have no tempter then After Jesus shall come back to earth again Oh, our Lord is coming back to earth again Yes, our Lord is coming back to earth again Satan will be bound a thousand years We'll have no tempter then After Jesus can come back to earth again Amen, let's sing that song, I Have Found the Way I have found the way that leads to endless day Yonder in the glory land And the road is bright For Jesus is the light And I hold His guiding hand Oh, I have found the way Come on now Oh, I have found the way Oh, glory, hallelujah I have found the way Jesus is so near I will bravely meet the foe Happy songs I'll sing In honor of the King And to glory onward go Oh, now I have found the way Yes, I have found the way faithful friend nevermore in sin to roam by the way called straight I'll reach the golden gate of the soul's eternal home and I have found the way yes I have found the way oh change the order of our service. Let's uh, sing that song, Reach Out and Touch the Lord in F. We'll just sing this before we take our needs to the Lord this evening. So reach out and touch the Lord as He passes by. You'll find He's not too busy to hear your heart's cry He is passing by this moment Your needs to supply Breathe 
reach out and touch the Lord as He goes by. So just reach out and touch the Lord as He passes by. To hear your heart's cry He is passing by this moment Your needs to supply Reach out and touch the Lord As He just continue to play that softly. I'll have you remain standing. Um, I don't have any prayer requests written down this evening, so that's a blessing in and of itself. But um, we do want to remember those who are not with us that are still traveling due to the holidays. And um, we know many who are at uh, Winter Youth Retreat this week. So we just want to remember them that the Lord will just uh, meet them where they are and just give them good services. And... Um, uh, Brother Barry, I know, did send out an email uh, today with a few prayer requests. I don't remember all of them, but uh, we just want to remember them in prayer. And um, also, uh, just uh, any unspoken prayer requests by the lifting of your hand. The Lord knows that need, and um, so we just want to uh, bring those to uh, the Lord in prayer. And Brother Josh, if you would just come up and pray over these prayer requests. our heads. Heavenly Father, such an honor and privilege, Lord, to be here this evening, Father, and we pray, Lord, you just continue, Lord, to be with us the remainder of the service, Lord, and with the rest of the song service, God, and we pray, Lord, for the unspoken needs, Lord, that are all in our hearts, Lord, for healings, Lord, and of our bodies, and Lord, we pray, God, you just be with the minister, Lord, tonight as he brings the word forth to us, Father. And Lord, as this year comes to an end, Lord, we look forward to a new year, Father, that we're, we're just continually drawing on you, Father, and may our relationship just continue to deepen, Father, and we grow closer to you. We ask it all in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may have your seats, sing key. All hail King Jesus, all hail Emmanuel, King of kings, Lord of lords, bright morning star.
concerns me 
today He is able More than able To handle anything that comes my way Oh, He is able More than able To more than I could ever dream. Oh, He is able, more than able, to make me what He wants me to be. Amen. If you would just continue to play that softly, Brother Matt, if we could at this time have the ushers come forward. And I will take up the tithes and offering at this time. Amen. Brother Chris, if you would pray. sing that song in the presence of Jehovah just as uh, Brother John comes this evening. In the presence of Jehovah God Almighty together. Thank you for 
each that have made it out tonight. Lord, we pray for all of those who are at winter youth retreat. I pray that it will be a glorious time of refreshing, of fellowship, uh, of just learning more about you and coming together with uh, believers of like mind, that you would keep everything in harmony, that you would make it a wonderful weekend for all involved. Bless the efforts of those who have put so much into it, both from our church and others. And I pray that much fruit will come from it. We pray for the prayer request unspoken tonight, um, that you would just take this service into your hands. In Christ's name, amen. While you're standing, let's go to your Bibles. And thank you, musicians. I'd like for you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. The title of my text is, What Do You Have? When you have it there, say amen. All right, I'm going to read starting at verse 1. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thy maiden hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Amen. So let's, uh, you may take your seats now. And um, I told Brother Aaron when I saw him this morning, he said, I, or when I came in actually this afternoon, he said, I'm praying for you today. And I said, I apologize, but then I stopped. And I said, I congratulate you that you get to hear this twice. <laughs> Because I, I did the same text in Tanzania, and so Brother Ben, forgive me as well, but um, <clears throat> it's been on my heart, and when Brother Barry asked me to speak tonight, I thought that I would just continue with my thought. And, um, but the title here is, What Do You Have? And so we kind of brought in the background of this particular story. It's a very familiar story in Scripture. And... Um, uh, Elisha had a school for prophets. Uh, it's called a school. And, and uh, this woman, her husband was in that school, and he, he probably also worked. But he was a minister, you might say. And uh, he passed away, and he had debts. And his creditors, that's the people that he owed the money to, were now coming to satisfy those debt. And uh, in those days... Uh, if you didn't have money to pay your debts, it would pay it off in manpower. And so, according to Leviticus 25, according to the law, these creditors had the right to come and take that man, he was deceased, but to take his children into bond slavery to work for him. And they could be bonded to him uh, until the debt was paid off or until the day of Jubilee. 
potentially 50 years down the road. And this woman, of course, how would you feel, sisters, your husband just passed away and now his creditors are coming for your children. And the law says, that's okay. Amen? And so, but she cries out and God sent a prophet. So God hears her cries. He sends the prophet Elisha to her. And that's sort of one of the main themes of what I'm looking at this, this morning. When people begin to cry out, that's when God sends a messenger. Amen. Amen? And so, um, so he goes to her, and uh, one of the, he, he, he asks her, he says, what can I do for you? But then really quickly, right on top of that, he says, what do you have in the house? Which is the title of my text, what do you have? So he didn't wait around for her to say, can you give me $100,000? He, he said, what can I do for you? But then he moved right on. What, uh, what do you have in the house? And so oftentimes, God is going to ask you that same question. What do you have? Because he takes whatever you have in your weakness, in your inadequacy, and he amplifies that to make it sufficient for what you need. So Elisha didn't come up and say, here, how many $100 bills do you need? And start reaches into his deep pockets. He said, what do you have in your house? And that's what God begins to work with. What, what you have available. And um, sometimes I think about it as if, uh, we've got, say you're making bread. When I go to Panera to get, uh, uh, sometimes I, 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 I'm on the sip club. And so I pay uh, $10 a month and I get unlimited drinks at Panera. And my daughters get unlimited drinks at Panera. And I know this is a Starbucks church. <laughs> but I don't mind saying that anyway. And so every time I order a drink, it says you have so many visits to your next reward. My reward is usually a bagel. And so, um, so I look at their bagel menu when I finally get that reward, and they have a cinnamon bagel, and they have a chocolate bagel, and they have a blueberry bagel. And uh, I hope you've all had dinner. <laughs> this sermon's about food. And so, uh, but you know what? It's just a bagel. The main ingredients is just bagel. I'm not a cook. <laughs> All right, so the main ingredient is a bagel, but then they sprinkle in whatever is special to that one, and it makes it unique. And so that was, that's what God does as well. He's, he's got the bread of his word. He's got the oil of the spirit. He can make a loaf, but then he asks, what do you have for me to put into this loaf that makes it special and makes it unique to you? So that's what he asked this widow woman. What do you have? She looks around her house and says, well, I've got a small pot of oil. And, um, and then oftentimes you know the story. Uh, her creditors were coming after her to take her children. And again, the law itself has said to her, this is what can happen. Your children will be taken into bondage until it's paid off. And we're in that same situation tonight. Due to the sins of our father Adam, our ancestor, we have been sold into slavery to sin. And the law can't fix that. The law can just say, okay, this is how we atone for this. But Christ is the one who can get you out of slavery. Christ is the one that can pay for your sins and and spring you out when the law says, yes, take the children and enslave them, 
Only Christ can, can say, I'm going to break that now, and I'm going to bring freedom, and I'm going to bring um, <clears throat> deliverance from what the law put you into, which is slavery to sin. And so Elisha says, what do you have? She says, I have this one small pot of oil. He says, tell you what, go out, go to your neighbors, you and your sons, and gather as many empty vessels as you can and bring them into your house. Now, the the widow, she doesn't really know yet what's going on. But Elisha, he already knows what's going to happen. He's not just speaking off the top of his head. He knows what's going to happen here. He has enough faith for her. She doesn't yet know what's going to take place. And so they go out and begin to bring these empty vessels in. And you know, that's sort of like Christ commands us. When when he told the parable of the wealthy man who had prepared a wedding feast, but yet his guests didn't come, and he said, okay, if they don't want it, let's go out into the highways and into the hedges and bring in those who will feast. It's uh, signifying by this how he would leave the Jews when they rejected him and, and bring the feast to the Gentiles, to us. And he told his servants, go out to the highways and the hedges and bring in the stranger. And so when, he, when we get that command... Sometimes we have to do that on faith, to invite that friend, to bring in that stranger, right? And uh, our faith, our measure of faith being not that there may not be enough oil to fill this person, but our faith should be such that um, there's so much oil I could never bring in enough. So when she goes out and starts bringing these empty vessels... What she's doing is actually limiting herself. She's limiting, limiting God, the amount of work that God can do in that room, by the number of, of empty vessels that she brought in. She herself has set the limitations on her own blessing. And so he says, go get empty vessels. So her and her sons bring them in there. They begin to pour oil. And as soon as one of the vessels get filled up, begins to overflow, there's still oil coming out of her small pot. And so they they bring another one over to it. It it again fills up. And this happens again and again. And finally she tells tells her sons, bring me another empty vessel. He says, there's no more empty vessels. And then the oil stopped. If you're following along in in the story here. Then the oil stopped. The oil didn't stop before it reached the top of the vessel. The oil stopped when there were no more vessels to fill. See, God never runs out. His blessings are unending. She didn't run out of oil. She ran out of vessels to put the oil in. And so, um, and so then that became sufficient for her need. The prophet said, okay, take that oil, um, go sell it, pay your creditors, because the price has to be paid, pay your creditors and redeem your sons. Uh, oil in the Bible, how many of you know it's, uh, it represents the Holy Spirit? Um, at, a, at one level, it's about an anointing. And so when the prophet Samuel uh, begins to anoint the future king of Israel, whether it's Saul or David, he takes a bottle of oil and pours it over their head. 
And this is a looking forward, this anointing of oil is looking forward, especially in the case of, of King David, who is a type of Christ, to when Christ himself will be anointed. The word Christ means the anointed one. His anointing was of the Holy Spirit that came down on him in the likeness of dove when John baptized him in the river. And so Christ being the anointed one by the Holy Spirit, that is typified in the Old Testament by oil being poured out upon the head. And uh, many of you know the, the parable of the, uh, of the ten virgins. Five wise, five foolish. The difference between those five foolish virgins and the five wise virgins were that the foolish virgins, they did not have oil in their lamps. And, um, and we learned that this oil signifies the Holy Spirit. They did not have God's Spirit uh, down inside of them. And so that is a requirement for being able to light that lamp, keep it lit from the Holy Spirit that's coming up, that's wicking up from within. As a requirement for meeting the Lord on His return. Amen. So it's extremely important. Um, so uh, she didn't run out of oil. She just ran out of vessels to put the oil in. Let's turn to Matthew 15. And I want to take this theme kind of to another level here. Working on the same idea of what do you have and how God provides of himself, of his Holy Spirit, of his, of his flesh, which is the word broken up for us. So Matthew 15, starting at chapter 32. I'll just start reading there. Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion. On the multitude, because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I will not send them away fainting, lest they faint in the way. Here's another example of people crying out. They were hungry. They hadn't had really anything to eat for three days. And God hears them crying out. And he sent, and, he, and then he provides a way. And so, um, so Christ says, I don't want to send them away hungry. The disciples said unto him, Whence should we have so much bread in the wilderness as to fill so great of a multitude? In this case, um, there were 4,000 men there, besides women and children. So probably upwards of 10,000 plus people gathered in the wilderness, trying to get, a, to get a little bit of a word from the Lord. So there we are trying to get... Uh, a natural word from Christ who is breaking that spiritual bread to them in the form of his teaching in the wilderness. And now he's going to give them a natural type of how he takes his body and breaks it for us and disperses it to the Gentiles. And he says, um, verse 34, Jesus said unto them, How many loaves have ye? And so he asked them, similar to how the prophet Elisha asked the woman, what do you have in the house? He asked the disciples, well, what do you have? And they replied to him, well, we have, um, I think it was seven loaves in this one and a few little fishes. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. 
And so he already knows what he's going to do, but they don't know what he's going to do. The multitude doesn't know. I guarantee the disciples already knew what he was going to do. And were probably beginning to anticipate it. Because they'd seen him do this kind of thing before. So he has the multitude to sit down on the ground. And I love that illustration. Because when you tell somebody to sit down, that means that something good is coming. Right? If you're in a host's house... And they say, uh, tell you what, take your coat off, sit down. That means you're welcome. And there's probably a cup of tea coming or, there's there, or a cup of coffee, right? Or maybe a, maybe a bagel. <laughs> I don't know. You just start to anticipate, right? When you sit down as a guest in someone's house. And so um, it, was, it was really neat uh, when we were in Tanzania and we had gotten to a certain place. We traveled a long way. And uh, through this valley, about seven hours. And it was a plain, very much like the Serengeti. And there were wild animals and shepherds walking uh, from here to there. Little children, um, uh, like, like the crosses, boys right there, driving sheep all alone in the middle of nowhere. And so, um, but as we went out, there had been no rain. And the ground was very gray. And as I watched the Maasai driving their sheep, they, nobody, I don't think I ever saw them on, on the way out sitting down. They were on the move. They were going from one place to the next, and they were moving them along. And the reason is that there was not enough nourishment in the dry grass and, and leaves to satisfy the sheep. And so they began to move them from place to place, looking for a pasture, looking for a pasture. Miles and miles they would drive those sheep and uh, just looking for something to eat. And, um, and so, so when Christ says, tell them to sit down, right? The shepherds know that uh, if, if, you're, if your sheep are sitting down, that means they're satisfied. That means they're full. That means you found a good place to feed. You found green grasses. You found water. The shepherd boy David um, <clears throat> experienced this, and then he later wrote about it. Um, <clears throat> he maketh me lie down in green pastures. He restoreth my soul. If the pastures aren't green, the sheep don't lie down. They keep moving and moving, trying to get the nourishment that they need. And uh, while we were in Loliondo, on the, uh, it rained. And so while we were there, it rained. And on the way back, I barely recognized the, uh, the ground. It, was, it had suddenly turned green. And I, would, I, and I was uh, looking across. There was one place where we passed a volcano. And it cut this deep uh, ravine. It must have been a hot mudslide. And piled up uh, <clears throat> a big carn of stones and boulders. And uh, when we passed it the second time around, I was looking for that ravine and I couldn't see it because everything was just green. But I knew where it was and I was able to identify it, but the, it was hardly recognizable. And, and we got to a place where before we had crossed it, it was just a dry ditch. Suddenly it was full of water. And the shepherds were there and their sheep were all lying down. And I thought about this verse, how God made them to lie down in green pastures. And so, um, so he told them to sit down. And then the first thing he does as he begins to break the bread is to thank God for it. And uh, this is striking because 
He hasn't yet done the work in those people's minds. They're not fed. They're not full. No miracle has taken place. But yet here he is thanking God for what is about to happen. And so uh, we need to model that our own selves. When he asks, what do you have? And you see that you just have a few small loaves. These are barley loaves. Barley. It's not even a desirable bread, or it wasn't then. Now it's more expensive than, uh, than wheat, right? But back then, it, only the poor people, only the farmers ate barley. So there's this farmer boy. He had some barley loaves, a few little fish. Uh, the widow just had one little pot of oil. What was that compared to her trials? And, um, but yet, we should thank God for what he's given us. Not only that, but thank God for how he's going to use what he's given us. Because it shouldn't be something we put in the future tense. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. But it should be in the past tense. Thank you, Lord, for what you have already done. Not in my past, but what you have already done in your mind's eye for me. And I know that it's for my good because you have promised me that all things work to the good for those that love you. And I love you with all of my heart. And, it, and so Christ broke, began to pray. He broke the bread. He gave it to his disciples. And they began to distribute it to the people, and it filled up so many that they had, uh, I think, about 12 baskets left over when it was finally finished. And um, Christ, as we know, is the bread of life. And so what he was doing here is signified by the breaking of bread at a later date when he was... uh, visiting with his disciples for the last time before his crucifixion. He broke the bread in front of them. And do you remember what he said? He said, this is my body that is broken for you. We repeat that at every communion that we have. He said, this is my body that was broken for you. And so that bread represents his body. In the New Testament, the body of Christ is his church. And, um, And we know that the word of life, it says he was the word of life. He was that manna that came down from heaven. So Christ himself is the bread. We need him for nourishment. We need him for what we need to sustain us. Not just physically. These people that ate in the wilderness, they were hungry the next day. But Christ says, I will give unto you that you'll never be hungry. You'll never thirst. If you just come to me. And in fact, his supply never runs out. There'll, there'll never be enough people to where God says, okay, I, I, can, I've, I've, uh, I, don't, I didn't shed enough blood for this many people to be saved. I, didn't, I, I don't have enough word to satisfy this many people. He'll never say that because God doesn't run out. Only the vessels run out. So what God has to provide never runs out. After... Um, <clears throat> After his crucifixion, the disciples, some of them are gathered together in a ship. And uh, you know the story, Christ came walking down by the water. But they didn't know or weren't sure who it was. He told them to uh, cast their nets on the other side. They, uh, they brought in their nets, full and breaking. But when they joined him on the land, he had some bread and fish by the fire. And uh, they didn't say anything, but when he broke the bread... And begin to give it to them. 
Then they knew who he was. And as he, as he began to talk to them, he told Peter, he says, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my sheep. Knowing that Peter was probably taken back to the same story in Matthew 15, when Christ broke the bread and gave it to him and said, feed these people. And so Peter, already knowing that Christ said, this is my body that was broken for you. Now feed my sheep. Peter knows exactly what he has to do. He's going to be a minister of God's word. He's going to take the broken body of Christ. He's going to take that word, the manna that came down from heaven, and distribute it to those that are hungry, to those that need. But as of yet, he did not have that boldness because the Spirit of the Lord had not yet come upon him to take away his fear and give him boldness to preach the gospel. That will come later at the upper room. 120, they were gathered together. And speaking of oil, the Spirit came down. And you know, it wasn't just a superficial anointing of oil. If you ever pour a little bit of oil or gasoline uh, out and then light it on fire, it burns bright and hot, but when it's gone, it's gone. Sometimes you put some some, uh, alcohol or something. You've probably seen um, this in restaurants when they'll flambe, but then it's gone, right? That, that superficial anointing can get burned up. But what the disciples got that day was a filling of their lamp where, that, where it went down on the inside and filled it up to overflowing on the inside. And because of that, when the Holy Spirit came down and God sent His inspiration and ignited those lamps and that flame appeared on the outside, a signification of what was burning on what was burning. Uh, in their hearts. That's, that's a flame that will never go out because he continues to fill the vessel. It never runs dry. And then um, there came a mighty rushing wind. What do you need for a fire, guys? You need fuel. You need oxygen. <laughs> so he blows on the flame and it comes up. And this is before... Uh, They knew about stop, drop, and roll. They just ran out into the streets and lit everybody else on fire. 3,000 were added to the church. Amen? And so, uh, but that's what we want. We want our lamps to be full of oil. We don't want this just a bathing of oil on the outside. We want it outside and in. And that's what drives away fear. That's what gives us boldness to go out and then begin to bring in empty vessels to be filled. Amen? Let's turn to... uh, Judges chapter 6. And I want to tell you about one more situation where people were crying out. The widow cried out. The hungry people cried out. Now the Israelites, they cried out to the Lord because of Midian. Midian was abusing them. They were just one of the many tribes that abused Israel in the, in the promised land before they came into the kingship of their own. And he sent them a prophet. Something, again, is a main theme of what I'm talking about here. 
when you begin to cry out to God in your weakness, He will send you a messenger. He will send you a message. And it's usually, well, what do you have? What do you have? And so, as we find out in verse 11, I'm not going to read all this, but if you'd like to, please follow along with the story in your, um, in your Bibles. I'm just going to highlight some verses here. Judges 6.11. The angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, the Abizrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. There's a lot of ites in there. And so um, what's going on there was uh, Joash, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of the background. He was an Israelite, but he was, and he was the head of the family of, uh, the, of the Abiezrites. They, uh, Abiezra, he was, the, I think, the great-grandson of Manasseh. So this is a small tribe uh, derived from the tribe of Manasseh. And uh, so he's got this proud heritage, but guess what? He is a priest of Baal. He is a priest of Baal. He has an altar to Baal in his yard. And he has an Asherah pole, and he leads people in worship. Worship to Baal, and guess what? They're being abused by the Midianites, but yet they're worshiping the same God. And how many times will we try to try to appease someone who's bullying us by going along with them and doing what they say, even though we know it's wrong? Amen? Does that happen? <laughs> it does, doesn't it? So here he is, trying to be good. He's, the, he's being a priest of Baal in Israel, the head of a tribe that's derived from Manasseh. The Israelites have fallen so far. So God sent them a prophet. They cried out. He sent them a prophet. What did the prophet do? He began to remind them of what he did for them when he brought them out of Israel. And he began to admonish them for not hearkening to his voice. And he began to upbraid them for worshiping other gods. Right on the heels of that, this angel, angel of the Lord appears in Joash's house. Right outside, under the terebinth tree. He came straight to where the heart of the problem was. Which is the Israelites worshipping other gods when they should have been worshipping Jehovah. Which got them into this bondage of seven years of being squashed by the Midianites in the first place. Because they didn't do what God told them to do. But yet when they cried out to God, you know what they told God? You've abandoned us. Why have you left us? Amen? God didn't leave them. They abandoned God. They abandoned the ways that they were taught, and now they were suffering for it. There's no other, there's no other way to put that. That's what God's Word says. So, in the meantime, his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And so... Um, this is where the story gets a little bit funny. It's when the angel of the Lord addresses Gideon. And um, it's, it's sort of strange here. The threshing floors are typically up on the top of a hill. And you would have uh, 
Uh, in Deuteronomy, it talks about don't muzzle the ox that treads out the grain. They would have oxygen, uh, uh, sorry, oxen up on this threshing floor, just going around in a circle, stomping out. And then they get in there and they toss it up in big sheets and a big cloud of chaff would go up. The wind would blow the chaff away. The wheat would fall back down into the blanket. They'd go through the process again. It, everybody would be coming for miles with, with wagon loads of grain to use this community threshing floor. But yet, when it comes time to get attacked, guess where the enemy goes first? Straight to the threshing floors. And they attack in a time of harvest. And so they'll go straight to those threshing floors. They'll, they'll ruin everybody there. They will take the harvest that's on the threshing floor, carry it away. And so in this time, because of the Midianite threat, Gideon's not threshing on the threshing floor. Gideon's in hiding. He's down there with his staff trying to crack what small grains he can in the wine press. In the wine press, usually this stone uh, vat that's at the bottom of the hill, you carry your grapes down through it, you tread out the grapes, it runs out, and uh, you're able to get grape juice that you can make into wine. So he's in the wine press, threshing, totally abandoned the threshing floor. And oftentimes, if, when there's persecution, this is where we find ourselves. And so instead of being in a, in a great auditorium, maybe Billy Graham speaking, thousands and thousands of people are getting fed. You've got one guy with his Bible in the closet, basically is what we're looking at here. But guess what? He's threshing. He's, he's digging in there. He's trying to get what he needs from it. He's finding nourishment from what little he can glean, working all alone. His father's not helping him out. All by himself, in the wine press. We, um, uh, every now and then, we visit a large church in our town, and, uh, and I, I enjoy going there. We're, we're involved in a fostering ministry, and so we typically go to the service, and the fostering ministry is right afterwards. And, um, and I feel a little bit out of place so we go in, and um, st- when we get in line for bread, and so everybody sat in line. Hundreds of people are in line. You got dozens of people up there. They've bought so much bread from Stick Boy Kitchen, which is the best bread in my town, and um, <clears throat> and they're handing it out. You know, cinnamon rolls, whatever. Kids are t- grabbing it, eating, and uh, those people aren't doing any threshing for their bread. They they come there. I want a hot roll, and uh, and that's just kind of what kind of what happens uh, for in the spiritual life as well, right? You walk in Sunday morning, you sit down, give me a cinnamon bun, and then I'm out of here. <laughs> that's what it. That's the analogy. <laughs> Sometimes uh, you know, for for a lot of people that sit in these large ministries, and so so we're sitting, we're in the line. Daniel is excited. Morgan's excited. They're getting, they're getting cinnamon rolls from Stick Boy. Uh, about this time, the rock music is starting up in the auditorium. I don't really want to be in there right now. <laughs> so I'm kind of satisfied to stay there. And so, um, but yeah, that's, that's, what, that's what people have come to expect. I'm going to, in the spiritual sense, give me a sticky bun, then I'm out, and I'll be back maybe next week <laughs> for another sticky bun. If it's, if it's uh, unleavened barley, forget it. <laughs> 
I'll, I'll leave. I'll go somewhere else. Greener pastures for me. Right? Amen? And so, um, so, but here's Gideon down in the wine press. He's having to crack his own grain to try to get some bread to eat. And so the angel of the Lord comes, sees him hiding down in the wine press with the staff cracking grain. And he says, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And I find that amazing. Amen? He didn't say, Gideon, you big chicken. Why are you cracking grain with a staff in the wine press? Do you not have faith that you can take on these Midianites? He said, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Because God doesn't see things as they are. Oftentimes, He sees what they can be. He sees your potential. He sees what's in your heart. And uh, he may see you sitting there hiding your Bible at break time in your cubicle uh, trying to thresh some wheat. And he might come up to you and say, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. He's pleased with you. He knows what's in your heart. Amen. And the Lord turned to him and said, and what I want to say here, oftentimes we get this layering up of power and authority in a story like this. So it started off with this prophet that was sent. Um, now some, uh, uh, you know, the Jewish midrashes, uh, rabbis will teach that this angel of the Lord that appeared to Joash is none other than the same prophet that was traveling through Israel in the previous verse. There's no segue between the two. Amen? And so, but at any rate, there's a, this is a man, he has a staff, He's sitting under a tree. This is not some big bright angel. right? He comes in the appearance of a man. This messenger does. And he tells Gideon, as the angel of the Lord, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. But now in verse 14 it says, then the Lord turned to him. This is another step up. This is no longer an angel, a messenger that is speaking to him. That messenger is now a mouthpiece Someone who delivers the word straight from Jehovah. The Lord himself turned to him. Fixed his eyes on Gideon. So when the Lord turns to you and begins to speak to you through this message or through through a a person that you meet, through a minister, through a prophet, sometimes it's not them talking at all, but it could be the Lord addressing you directly. He said, go in this might of yours, still building him up, And you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? And this is the Lord speaking directly to him. And so um, he says to him, O Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. He's putting his weakness on display for the angel of the Lord, for Jehovah. And he's saying, why would you want to use me I'm the smallest, the weakest. I can't do a great work for you. But God doesn't care about that. And oftentimes God will seek out those who seem the smallest and the weakest so that His power and glory are not diminished when He does great works for them. Brother Branham told us about um, Samson. When the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, he said if he had been a mighty strong uh, you know, Mr. Universe, 
and he lifted up the gates of the city, people would say, wow, that's a strong dude. But when they saw some, uh, you know, diminutive guy carrying those gates, they knew it was God, and then God was not diminished. And the Lord said, surely I will be with you. You will, be, you will defeat the Midianites as if there were only one man. Now, he said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, this is uh, Gideon talking, then show me a sign that it is you who is talking to me. And in this case, we know that Gideon is asking, not are you, you know, is there a man talking to me? He can see there's a man talking to him. He's saying, is this the Lord who is talking to me? Because Gideonite, even though his father has fallen into serving other gods, Gideonite is enough of an Israelite to know that if God brings a message, he's going to vindicate it with a sign. Amen? He is going to vindicate that message. And so, and so Gideon says, okay, can, can you just prove yourself to me? And throughout this story, over and over, Gideon, Gideon continues to ask God to prove himself. And God, in his long suffering, continues over and over again patiently to show his signs to Gideon to prove that it, it indeed it is him and that his word is true. God doesn't lose patience with Gideon through this whole story. I think that's amazing. I've got a, a picture of this bread here. This is a big loaf of unleavened bread. That's about as close as, um, as I can come to what Gideon did at this, at this moment, at this juncture. And so Gideon says, stay right there. So he's testing God. He's probably thinking to himself, all right, if I'm gone for a long time, getting together what I'm going to get, maybe he's just going to get kind of tired of that and leave. Amen? So he, already he's beginning to test God. So what does he do? He goes down and he looks around and he says, what do I have? What do I have? It's the question of the, of the evening. What do I have? What do you have? Well, Gideon had flour because he'd been cracking grain with his staff for days, trying to gather what he could for his own nourishment. And he begins to gather it together and more of it and more of it and more of it. And finally, uh, the King James doesn't really do it justice as to how much he finally gets together. What, what does it say in your Bible? How much, how much grain is he gathered? Anybody there? Uh, yeah, maybe. It was. It's about. It's about thirty-five pounds of flour. It's half a bushel. Half a bushel. He gathers together. Not only that, but a young, uh, young goat. He begins to uh, to put together the bread. And when you make unleavened bread, in this case, one hundred and ten cups of flour going into it. That's about 35 pounds of, of, uh, of, of flour. He puts in, I'll look this up on a recipe, by the way, 46 cups of water. And so he has this mixture now that's about 60 pounds. 
This is for one guy, right? Do you know how long it takes to cook 60 pounds of bread? Sisters? <laughs> Enough time where he can go catch a goat, <laughs> skin it, cook it up, gather the broth, right? I guess it would cook down to about 50 pounds by the time it's cooled down. By this time, a lot of time has passed. And he probably puts this huge, I don't know if it's a huge loaf, maybe it's a bunch of small loaves. And probably a wheelbarrow puts it in the basket that contains the kid, the, the vessel that contains the broth, starts going back up the hill. And probably in his mind, he's saying, this guy's not going to be here anymore. Amen? <laughs> he probably thinks he's off the hook. But no, the angel's still sitting there under the terebinth tree because God keeps his word. Amen? And so he goes up to him. He says, okay, you said you would give me a sign. The angel says, put it on the rock. He, he gets this giant loaf, the goat, the broth, and he says, here's what I have. He brought all of what he had, even though it does seem like a lot. It probably would have fed 50 men. But he says, here's what I have. Presented it to the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord touches the staff of the rock. Fire comes out, consumes the bread. It's gone. The goat is gone. The broth is gone. The angel disappears. And at that point, Gideon gets really frightened because he realizes he's sort of disrespected Jehovah. He's disrespected God's messenger by making him prove himself, even though he's going to continue to do this throughout the story. And he becomes afraid. And he says, how can I, who looked at God face to face, he's just proved to me that this was the Lord I was speaking to. He showed me by vindicated signs that this was him speaking through this man. How can I, who have looked on that, now live? Remember, the messenger is gone. And then what happens next is one of the most, I think, amazing parts of this story. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. What we find is the messenger is gone, but God is still speaking. Amen? The messenger is gone, but yet the person who receives the message, his bride, God is still speaking to her. I hope you catch that. And then not only does he tell him, you're not going to die, he begins to give him instructions. He appears to him in a dream that night. He says, build an altar to the Lord, your God, on top of this rock in the proper arrangement. What's going to happen is that God tells, God gives Gideon specific instructions. He says, take two bulls. One is to do the work. One is to be a sacrifice. Go out to your father's altar. These altars have been unearthed, by the way, in Palestine. They're about uh, the size of this platform and about four feet high, made of large stones. This is not an easy job to take apart this altar to Baal. And God says, I want you to build me an altar, and you don't have to quarry the stone. You don't have to go mining for rock. We're going to use the same rock that built this inappropriate altar this altar to a false god and all you have to do is put the rock in its proper arrangement 
He's telling him, you don't have to, I'm, I don't have to bring you, he's speaking to the bride now, I don't have to give you a new Bible. I don't have to give you new verses. I want you to take those verses that have been used to set up an idol to false gods, building up false doctrines of water baptism, of the correct interpretation of the Godhead. We're going to take those same verses. I want you to tear it down and then put it back together in its proper arrangement. And now it's an altar to the Almighty Jehovah. So his father had gotten away from his roots. He had gotten away from the true teaching of the church. He had had taken those stones that were an altar to Jehovah, put them in an improper arrangement, turned it into an idol to Baal. Gideon took ten men. He woke up from his dream and he said, I'll do it right away, Lord. That's pretty good, right? That wasn't his motivation. He says, I'll do it right away because it's still nighttime. And I don't want anybody to see me doing this. (laughs) He was still afraid. He goes and he tears down the altar to Baal. He rebuilds it in its proper arrangement according to how God described the altar should be built. And then he cuts down the Asherah pole, chops it up, uses the wood for the fire to sacrifice an ox to Jehovah, and in the morning when the worshipers of Baal came down for their devotions, they said, what happened? What is this? And now they want Gideon to die. So the worst thing you can do is put things back in their proper arrangement. Now, now suddenly, those who deserve death get all self-righteous and say, look what you did, you deserve to die not knowing that they themselves are the transgressors. See this so many times. The self-righteousness when you correct an error that has been long established. So many examples of that. So Joash, his dad, actually becomes his first convert. And he says, would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? If he's a god, let him plead for himself. And then he gave his son a new name, uh, Jeroboam, one who fights against false doctrine. Basically is the name that he gives him. In verse 33, we finally get the challenge. It says, Then all the Midianites, the Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But you know what? Before Gideon can be a mighty man of valor before the Lord, he had to clean out his own house first. God's not going to bring the enemy towards you for you to show forth his might until you first clean up what you've got in your own life. Amen? You've got to tear down the altar to Baal. You've got to cut down the Asherah pole. You've got to get those stones back in their proper arrangement. Once you've cleaned out your own house, then God, then God can hand you something that's worthy of His honor. But He says, before I bring the enemy down for you to defeat them, you've got to get your house in order. Why? Because God knows if they continue on like this, and these Midianites and Malachites, the people of the East, come forward. Guess what? They're, gonna, they're going to destroy the Israelites. 
They're going to take all their wheat. They're going to go back to Midian. They're going to celebrate, and Baal gets the glory. Amen? But before God can bring these in, he has to get Gideon right. He has to get Joash right. You have to clean out your own house. Search within you. What altars to Baal have I put up? What false improper arrangement of those stones am I harboring in my heart that I need to rearrange, that I need to clear out in order for me to get my house in in proper arrangement so that now I am fit to fight God's enemies? That's what we should ask ourselves tonight. At that point, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. That word came upon The Hebrew means he was totally filled. God wore him like a cloak. He lost all of his fear. He lost all of his anxiety. And then he blows the trumpet. He is no before he was he was threshing wheat in the wine press. And then he was tearing out an altar down an altar at night so he wouldn't be seen. Now he's out blowing a trumpet. This is his upper room experience. He, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. It drove away fear. It drove away any hesitation he might have. Now he's out blowing the trumpet. He gathers the people to him. Um, I'm not going to go through the story, but he has this winnowing of men. He goes from 32,000 down to about 10,000, down to about 300 men. Because God wants to show forth his power and weakness. In the meantime, he's, he's going against about 135,000 of the enemy who are camped not too far from the river. So he divided the 300 men into three companies. He put a trumpet in each man's hand, empty pitchers, torches beside the pitchers. And he says, when I blow the trumpet, I and who all are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. This is a brave man. But before that happens, I want to tell you one more little thing. He still was kind of nervous by the time they got down to the river and he'd been winnowed down to 300 men. And God told him, you can attack them now or you can go down to the camp with your servant and listen in and I'll I'll give you another sign. God gives him a choice and he says, I'll bless either choice. Oftentimes we get ourselves caught up in, does God want me to go left? Does God want me to go right? What does God want me to do? What's the will of the Lord? When God is telling to Gideon, hey, I will bless the choice that you make. Amen? And so he decides that he wants to have one more test. He goes down into the camp. And he begins to listen. And the first person they come upon is somebody who just had a dream. And in that dream... He didn't see hordes of angels coming down from heaven to destroy the Midianites. He didn't see a barrage of spears, thousands of warriors descending upon them, destroying the Midianites. He sees a giant loaf of bread come rolling into the camp, flattening his tent. God took that giant loaf that Gideon had. What did you have? I've got some bread. I'll cook all of it as a sacrifice to the Lord. What he had, he gave all of it. God took that, maybe in a strange sense of humor. 
and processed that into a dream that came upon the Midianites. And the interpretation of that dream was this. That giant loaf of bread is the sword of Joash, I mean, sword of Gideon, son of Joash, and he's going to destroy all of us. So God takes what you have. He took Gideon's great big loaf of bread <laughs> and used it to, send, to bring terror <laughs> into the hearts of the enemy. And so when they went out then, they broke up in their vessels, they shone forth their lights, they began to blow the trumpets. And these days, when you blow the trumpet and hold the light, you're the leader, you've got a thousand men at your back. Guess what? There are no men at the back. There were just 300 leaders blowing the trumpet, lighting the lights. It seemed like an army of a million out there. The Midianites began running around. They began to stab each other. And before you knew it, they were half, and then they were a quarter, and then they were an eighth, and then they were a sixteenth. And pretty soon, they were just about all gone. And God used the weakness of Gideon and his simplicity of his bread, his huge loaf, to bring terror and to destroy their enemy. But he started it out with, what do you have? When he came to Moses in the desert, and uh, he told Moses, you're going to bring out my people. Moses said, I can't do this. God asked him, what do you have in your hand? A staff, he replied. God's asking you the same thing tonight. You're crying out to him. You're asking him for a blessing. Here's how it begins. What do you have? A little bit of oil? A little bread? He's going to take that, and if you have faith, he's going to multiply it to make it sufficient for your needs and the needs of your family and to the needs of your entire household. All the vessels that you can bring in because he's God, and that's what he does. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful evening. Thank you for bringing us uh, a message from your word. I pray that you will... Look at each of us. As we're standing here, we might be saying, I'm the least of my family. My family is the least of my community. Um, I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm uh, too poor. I'm an unknown. Uh, so many reasons why you don't want to use me, Lord. He says, well, what do you have? And he's going to take that unique thing that you bring even though you don't see it as being anything and he's going to put that he's going to put that into his recipe and he's going to create something that's far greater than anything we ourselves could have imagined it takes his power his creativity to take what we have and then surprise us when it becomes all that we need I pray that you'll just reveal that to us as we go through a week. That when Gideon heard the, the dream, even before going back to the camp, he and his servant fell on their faces and began to thank God. He told, he told the 300, God has already delivered. Not in the future. Not, is he going to deliver? He says, God has delivered the Midianites into our hands. We just want to thank you right now for what you've given us.
We thank you for what we have, but then we also thank you for what you've already done with these small gifts. What you've already done for us and for those around us. We reach out in faith and claim it. We give you thanks for it. In Christ's name, amen. Brother Mitchell, if you come back up to the front, and um, let's just all stand together. Do we have that song, Little Is Much? Just came to my heart. I don't know if it's in the songbook. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. Amen. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. If you go in Jesus' name. Again, little is much when God is in We 
Open the eyes of my heart I want to see to see you, to see you high and lifted up, oh, shining in the light of your glory, oh, pour out your power and love as we sing holy, In my- 
We will see you all, Lord willing, on Sunday. So Jesus be the Lord of all. Jesus be the Lord of all. Jesus be the Lord of all. The kingdoms of my heart. Oh, Jesus be the Lord of all. Jesus be the Lord of all. Jesus be kingdoms of my heart.